Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us safely together for this ASI and also this ASI Young Professional Gathering. You know we have limited time together. Make it efficient and productive. Speak to us and give us practical tips on how to be wise stewards and managers of the money you've placed in our hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the structure this afternoon, we're going to be looking at a few principles. I've been instructed to spend roughly half the time. We have an hour, roughly half the time. I'll be sharing some concepts, some ideas, some stories. And then after that, there's going to be an activity that you can work together on in your groups. And we have table moderators. I know some of them are here. They'll be dispersed amongst you to help answer questions at your table. So we can try to get as many questions answered that way as possible. So not all the questions have to come up to the front. But then at the end, for the last 10 minutes or so, uh, we will take some of those maybe most common questions or the most urgent questions that people have and we can discuss them right at the end. So we don't have a whole lot of time, so let's get right into it. As I mentioned on stage earlier, our topic, all you need to know about money on an index card. So, but a little bit about me. Uh, my, that's my wife and daughter. You'll see them. They're running around out here. And um, I, my, in my, as far as my education goes, I have a master's degree from Southern Avenue University in business. And perhaps more relevant, maybe a little less relevant, depending on your perspective, I was also a math teacher in high school, which means I... <laughs> I know how to add, subtract, <laughs> multiply, you know, compounding interest. You actually do need to know a little bit of math, right, to do your personal budget and things. And, uh, but what might be interesting to you is that I am currently in training for my Certified Financial Planner certification. CFP is the designation name. I'm in the middle of that, so I'm not allowed to use the letters after my name, but for what it's worth, that is what I'm uh, studying for. And uh, my clicker is actually not fully functioning, so let me just switch this around real quick. Excuse me, let me just make sure I can get this to work. All right. Let's try that. And also, as far as my career goes, I've worked in ministry positions all my life. I was a high school teacher, I worked in a school, and now I'm the director of Audioverse. Uh, so I'm not professionally in the financial industry, but in some ways that might actually be helpful because I'm like many of you. I actually have a normal job and have to raise a family. I have a family of three since 2005, so my daughter's going to be four shortly. And I also work through graduate school without debt. So that's one of those things that, for those of you considering going to school, I share my story in another place. I won't have time to go through it today, but uh, it is still possible if you try. So there are a couple other tidbits that you might be interested in about me. Since my wife and I have been married, our household income has only risen above the U.S. median income level once, one year, in our whole almost 10 years of marriage, and it's been well below the U.S. median income. Now, this is sort of a baseline for what I'm about to share with you, all right? So you've got to keep this in mind. So we bought this house, and we paid it off in two years, and since we've been married, we have operated roughly with these numbers. We give away 25% of our take-home pay, actually of our gross income, 25%. We spend 25%. That's inclusive of the taxes and all of that stuff too. And we save 50%. However, you remember we had a baby in 2015 
And you know what they say about babies, they're like a nuclear bomb to your personal budget. <laughs> so since that time, we have started giving 27%, we spend 18%, and we actually save 55%. So, what's that? Even bigger savings. That's the point. So, so we've managed to even efficient, um, be, be more efficient now even uh, more than before we had a child. So it is actually possible to live very well, to live a middle-class, respectable life in the United States of America without breaking the bank. I just want to just mention this one thing. When you listen to the news, particularly when you hear you know, the presidential debates, everyone is all hammering how terrible we have it here in America. That's a myth. We have it so well here. It is embarrassing. And the reality is we can, for most of us, uh, we can make do with much less than what we do. So uh, since my baby was born, we've lived on one ministry salary. You know, that's code, right? That's a code word. When people say, oh, I'm on a ministry salary. What does that mean? We don't get paid a whole lot. Now, I certainly am not complaining about my employer. I feel like I'm paid something that's very fair. But just to give you the context of what's going on here, my wife stays at home, and uh, we have no secret stash. People are like, you must have a rich uncle. You're a trust fund baby. Oh, you got a Bitcoin or something, right? (laughs) No, we actually have nothing of the sort. So a lot of this, uh, our parents, I will say, the one thing that really gave us a head start, which I understand is a major advantage that we have that other people don't have, is our parents, both my wife and I, paid for our undergraduate degrees. And, uh, but we both worked, so we actually learned good work ethic and all that stuff. So we document our financial escapades on our blog called savingthecrumbs.com. You can check it out. We actually have not written much on it since our baby has been born. But a lot of the stuff, even here at ASI, I've bumped into a bunch of people that say it's still applicable. So uh, if you want to know more details, we share the good, bad, the ugly, you'll know exactly how much we paid for our house, what our mortgage payments was, how much I get paid, how much we give away, how much we spend on groceries. That's one of the big topics because everyone wonders how my wife does it. It's all on the blog. You can check it out in uh, very vivid color. And if you want to pollute your mind some more, uh, I've actually done a number of seminars at GYC, 2015 and 2017. One of these years, it was actually at this very convention center. Uh, where I spend nearly 12 hours going through in much more detail than I can do here principles, how-tos, tips, and very specific things about investing, getting out of debt, uh, budgeting, how to save, uh, insurance, tithes and offerings, you know, when are we supposed to sell everything when Jesus comes, you know, all those types of questions. (laughs) We talk about that. And we we base it on the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. So I'm going to be referring to these seminars a lot because we have limited time. So I'm going to give you a real high yield, uh, very uh, fly over 30,000 feet view of my philosophy of personal finance. And I'm going to be referring you to these seminars a lot if you want more detail. So uh, for what it's worth, a little bit of self-promotion here. Shameless plug for Audioverse. That's who I work for as well. So... The title of our our talk this afternoon comes from a gentleman by the name of Dr. Harold Pollack. He's a PhD from the University of Chicago. And a number of years ago, they were interviewing him, and he just made this offhanded quip. And he just said, personal finance is not that complicated. The best financial advice for most people would fit on an index card. 
Do you think that's true? How many of you think that that's a pretty fair statement? I think so. But, of course, he had his detractors, and there were people that came after him and said, well, show us the card. And so he did. And here it is. This is the exact card in his own handwriting. PhD professor. Uh, you can tell that you know, he, 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 he can actually read his writing, so uh, he, he's not an um, MD doctor. But, um, so what does he say? Max out your 401k or equivalent employee contribution by inexpensive, well-diversified mutual funds such as the Vanguard target date funds. Never buy or sell an individual security. The person on the other side of the table knows more about you than about this stuff. Save 20% of your money. Pay your credit card balance in full every month. Maximize your tax advantage savings vehicles like a Roth or SEP uh, and 529 accounts. Pay attention to fees. Avoid actively managed funds. Make financial advisor commit make your financial advisor commit to a fiduciary standard. Promote social insurance programs to help people when things go wrong. And he wrote this index card, it went viral online, and then he and a co-author ended up writing a book about it. You can buy it today on Amazon, on personal finance on an index card. So I read this, and I, in principle, agree largely with what he's saying, his idea. But as I looked at his card, I realized, you know what? I do have some criticism with what he's saying. And that is that this, he, he, he seems to suggest when he says the best financial advice fits on an index card is that it's applicable to everyone in all circumstances of all age brackets. Now, when I look at this, it is, in my humble estimate, not necessarily applicable for everyone in all circumstances. So I would, and some of you, I would venture to say, may not even understand all the terminology. Like when he talks about attention to fees and actively managed funds and fiduciary standards, some of these terms are a little bit, you know, a jargon in the industry. So I would update his statement where I would say for a particular phase in our life, a stage in our life, so perhaps when you're a student, right, or if you're an early career as a single, or when you're in your middle career with young children versus you're a retiree, okay? Just using those as general categories, there could be the key principles you need to apply in your practical management of your money in that life stage should fit on an index card. That's my reinterpretation, you understand what I'm saying? And so those principles do need to be updated because if you're a retiree, half this stuff won't matter to you because you're not investing anymore. Versus someone who is seriously in debt or someone who's a student who is you know, in the process of accruing student loans or whatnot, this may not be applicable as well. So I went back and I thought, okay, if we were to take our crumb saver principles and boil it down to a note card for the stage of life that we've been writing about on our blog, what would that look like? So I want to share that with you. And using that, it'll be you know, 10 points that roughly give you the overarching philosophy of how I believe through the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy we can manage our money. And this may not be a perfect fit for your specific situation. You understand what I'm saying? This is not a thus saith the Lord by any means. This is just my personal experience. And at the conclusion of our time, my little talk here, 
we're going to break up into our tables and at that point discuss, okay, what are the key things I need to think about in my particular situation? And that's where the table moderators can help us walk through that. Okay, so let's go through the crumb saver note card and I'll flesh out some of the ideas that uh, we live by and I'll reference you to some of the talks where I go into more detail. So the first principle for our note card is not found on Pollock's card, <laughs> is I think the most important, right? We need to pay God first because he owns everything. The Bible tells us, of thine own, we return to thee. God owns everything. And this is the example. We're talking about business here at ASI. The example I think of is God is the owner of the firm. I'm merely the CEO. I am his chief executive. I have autonomy to make decisions, but I don't own the business. And the owner can call me and say, I expect a profit. Whatever profits you make, pay me the dividend. So the tithe is essentially the dividend that we pay back to God as the owner. But you know, the dividend simply means, hey, this is the profit that I'm accruing on a regular basis, but it's indicative that God owns the whole business. You see the connection there. So when we talk about 25%, though, a lot of people look at that like, what, what are you, crazy? Um, in fact, I have a whole talk on this. It's called Lay Up Your Treasures in Heaven on Audioverse. It's from GYC, where I go through the Spirit of Prophecy principles where she actually gives us the exact percentage that the Israelites gave, and then she makes an appeal, should we not do more? So a lot of times we have principles. We say, you know, Lord, can you please just... Tell me specifically what your will is for my life. Can you just tell me what to do? Like for once, like don't just give me a principle. I read this and it's like, Lord, can you just not be so specific for once and just <laughs> give me a principle? But one-fourth, she says that exactly. So I go by that. It is not a Ten Commandment, you understand. It is a soft appeal. It's encouraging us to rise up higher. And she sets this high bar. Hey, can we, can we do better than what the Israelites did? So the next one, number two, pay myself second. So we're called crumb savers for a reason. We believe that saving and living on less than we earn is the secret to building wealth. And so pay ourselves second. Now, Pollock, he says, and most financial advisors would be closer to him. He says save 20% of your income. If you listen to guys like Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman on the radio, they're talking save like 10 to 15%. But I'm like, just go for broke. Save as much as you can. So in our home, we shoot for 50% or more. And for us, that's how we paid off our house in two years. It's not a big secret. We just had gigantic payments. We lived on my income. My wife was working at the time, and we just put in her entire income into the house and everything else extra. We knew that she was going to live at home once we had a baby. And so we're like, if we're going to live like that then, let's just live like that now. Pay off the house. We cut out the most expensive uh, budget item on our monthly budget, our home mortgage. And now we own a free and clear and uh, it, we live on much less now every month. So save, number two. Number three, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know that's in the Bible? First Thessalonians 3.10. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That's what it says. And if you, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. That's Colossians 3.23. So that's a work ethic issue. How do we earn money? We have to work. How do we work? As unto the Lord. And what happens if we don't work? You don't eat. We have to remember that as a biblical principle. Number four, okay, 
talking about budgeting now. I have a whole talk on, several talks actually on Audioverse where I go through specifically the steps of how to build a budget. A budget that is based on our savings as our goal. It's not spending minimization, it's savings maximization. Because a lot of times we think of budgets as what you don't do. A budget is often, oops, excuse me. A budget is often thought of as a diet, right? It's punishment. You have to sacrifice, you have to, you know, self-flagellation in order to achieve a goal. But budgeting is actually a tool to help us achieve our dreams. What, we, what our goals are. If I want to buy a house. I want to pay my kids through school. I want to go on vacation. I want to have this new car. Whatever it might be, the budget is to help us get there. And the ideal budget for our monthly spending is really zero. The more we can spend, the better off we are. So let me explain that just a little bit. When you look at guys like Dave Ramsey and his books and even you know, our church uh, has a several resources on how to budget, they give you suggested percentages like housing, 25 to 33%. Groceries, 15 to 20%. Utilities, 5 to 10%. It's almost like here are the ideal amounts that you should be spending on your house. I, th- I say that's just all baloney. If you can live, if you can pay off your house, that's zero. That's better than paying 30%. You understand what I'm saying? So when we think about our budget, it's can we be more efficient with how we live our lives? It's not to go, you know, go without and just live in a, you know, cardboard box, right, somewhere. But how can we live with a comfortable uh, standard of living without uh, being just ridiculously American about it? So I'll give you an example. (laughs) Give you an example. Uh, So we, we bought our house. We paid it off. We had some extra cash. And so we took that money and we invested in solar panels on our house. So usually everybody assumes, oh, you got to pay electric bill. That's just the way life is. You just have to pay the electric bill. Well, guess what? The electric company pays me every month because I invested the extra means that I had into a solar panel. So my budget is not just zero, it's less than zero. I actually make money from my electric bill. So there are ways to think about our budget in a way that is not just the conventional, I just have to spend what everyone else spends. Okay, so that's the principle there. Number four, or sorry, number five, have adequate insurance, including three to six months of uh, emergency fund. I think that is the bottom line. Everybody needs three to six months of emergency savings. And when we say emergency fund, it's three to six months of living expenses. So not necessarily how much you make, but how much you need to live on. Because ideally, if you are following these up here, the amount you need is a lot less than what you make, right? And the principle behind this is if you get laid off, if something bad were to happen, you have this to fall back on, a cushion that can absorb the adversity that comes your way. And adequate insurance, I have a whole talk on that. Health insurance, car insurance, home insurance, uh, life insurance, we deal with all that kind of stuff. No time to talk about that now, but we do need to have adequate insurance. We don't have to have you know, unlimited insurance. We do need to think about risk management. Here's an important one. Never pay interest for depreciating asset. Save up and buy in cash. I have to be very careful how I say this. Does this say never borrow money? Is that what it says? No. All right. Well, you have to be very careful. Never pay interest for depreciating assets. So the issue here is when an asset depreciates, like I'm going to, this is where I get the rotten tomatoes thrown at me, like a car, right? You drive it off the lot, the value goes down. And everybody's like, but my car's a classic. Your Toyota Camry is never going to be a classic. Sorry. (laughs) 
but it's a depreciating asset. But if you're paying interest on it, not only are you losing money on the value of the car, you're paying more than listed price. It's so stupid. Like, don't do that. Like, go back and study math. Like, that's not good. Not good. So don't pay interest for a depreciating asset. So is there any time that's appropriate to borrow money? Well, the simple rule is never borrow for a depreciating asset. But the other flip side is the only thing that we should be, the only acceptable form of debt, rather, are debts for things that can either increase in value or things that can pay itself off. So the two big ones are an education and a home. And I would also throw business loans in there too, but businesses, you just have to be careful because you can you know, destroy your business if you're not careful with, uh, with debt. So the, the principle here is not debt is you know, evil and shun it and never borrow money. The principle is never borrow for depreciating asset. So it's better to save up and buy in cash in those circumstances. So number seven, I think this goes without saying, pay off your credit card every month. If you're not doing that, um, it's time to do plastic surgery. If you're not able to have the self-control, if you're not able to pay off your debt for your credit card every month, it's better not to have it. However, I will balance this out and say, I don't have a problem with credit cards. I have a problem with people with no self-control using credit cards, right? And... um, in fact, there are only two ways to use credit cards. You either don't use them at all, or you put absolutely everything you possibly can on your credit card. There's no middle ground. If you're going to be logical about it, that, those are the only two options. Because a credit card, you get points, you have added insurance, miles, all that kind of stuff. And people used to say, oh, but you're going to pay more. You know, in this day and age, all the retailers already bake that into the price of their goods. If you pay cash, you're going to pay the same. I mean, not everywhere, not everywhere, but generally speaking. So if you're going to use credit cards, use them wisely. Um, I know Johnny over here. You can talk to him. with. He's got a lot of tips he shared with me before, credit cards. So um, number eight, investments now. Okay, so investing, people always have a lot of questions. I boil it down. Like These are the basic principles when it comes to investing as far as my household. Invest first in tax advantage accounts. So that's what... Uh, previous card also said, so your 401k, if you have that, an IRA, Roth IRA, and this alphabet soup over here, the Roth, the SEPs, HSAs, 529s, ESAs, all these things are tax advantage accounts for various things. Most of it is for retirement. Some of it is for health savings. That's what the HSA is. Some of it is for small businesses like the SEP. And also there are other things like the simple IRA and all that. And then the 529 and the ESA are for college savings for your children. Um, or your grandkids or nephews or whatnot. So start there, tax advantage accounts. And then, uh, and of course, there's a whole debate, Roth versus IRA, that's going to be a situation based on where you're at. But if you're lower income, when you're just starting out, generally speaking, the Roth is the way to go, just, just as a rule of thumb. So everybody always asks about investment. Oh, what should I invest in? I'm just going to tell you what I do now. Okay, so buy and hold broad-based, low-cost index funds. That's what I do. Now, if you don't know what that is, I have a three-part article on my blog where I talk about what index funds are, and I go through the the breakdown, the the values that you use to evaluate. Well, what about real estate? What about trading stocks? What about gold? What about Bitcoin? All this kind of stuff I go through, and the bottom line is, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best type of uh, investments for most people. For most people. 
And also don't speculate. Speculation, Warren Buffett once said, it's like pornography. It's hard to define, but I know it when I see it. And speculation is one of those things are we as humans, we are drawn to it like a moth to the flame and it's very easy. You know, Bitcoin is up. Oh, bye, 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 bye. And then it crashes and then we're like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. So uh, don't speculate. I have a whole seminar at GYC a couple years ago where I deal, it was at the peak of the Bitcoin bubble. And uh, I, it was like when Bitcoin was like 20,000 per Bitcoin and I made some uh, predictions and uh, they all came true. So I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I have been known to uh, predict a few things correctly. So number 10 here, this is the last one on my card. Forget keeping up with the Joneses. I'm wealthy as long as I have enough. And this is very, very important because when it comes to personal finance, it's, so, it's not so much how much we have, it's how much we need. And if we know, understand very clearly what our needs are, we can be content. And contentment with godliness with contentment is great gain, we're told in scripture. And um, the thing is, wealth is determined not so much by what we earn, but by how little we need. And so when we think about wealth and personal finance, we have to have limits and we have to understand what it is that we truly need. So this is my note card and these are some of the principles that we abide by in our home. But the criticism that I had of Harold Pollock earlier on, apparently other people had the same criticism. And so they went back to him and he said, you know what, you're right. So he came up with several other note cards for different phases of life. And I want to share those with you real quickly, and then we're going to break up into our groups. So this one he called Basic Rules. Now, I'm not going to go through these in detail, but these are the things that he uh, suggested, and they might give you some ideas when it comes time for you to work on your own card. And this one is really, he calls them Basic Rules, but what is he talking about? He's talking for like low-income individuals. That's sort of what his target is. So he says, set and pursue financial goals that excite you. Follow a budget and track your spending. Pay cash or check rather than by credit card or payment plan whenever possible. Save consistently and build a financial reserve. Make sure you are receiving all pertinent public benefits. So you see this is specifically for lower income individuals. Uh, make good use of your tax refund and or your EITC, that's your earned income tax credit. Don't buy any financial service product endorsed by any celebrity. Ah, that's actually a pretty good one. <laughs> Uh, buy cheap index funds rather than individual stocks. So that's basically what I suggest as well. Invest in your 401k if you have access to one. Use a free financial coach. Protect yourself from fraud and abuse. Look into a credit union even if you have been unbanked. So you, you can see he's talking about people that perhaps are not really in the financial system in some ways to protect them. So the last card I want to show you is he wrote one for young adults. Okay, so that is uh, what we're talking about here today. So... He says, pay your credit card bill in full every month. Notice he makes that as his number one thing. You know, credit card companies target college students like, you know, sharks circling, you know, an injured seal in the ocean. Like they're young people, they've got a big target on their back. So we really have to be mindful of how we use our credit card. Keep a budget and spending diary. Pay cash up front whenever you can. Don't smoke, mind your alcohol, and dining spending too. Adventists, we don't have too many problems with the smoking or the alcohol, but the dining? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm not going to say too much about that. So start saving early. Make it automatic. 
ideally through a 401k. This man really loves a 401k. And uh, you may not have access to one. The closest thing would be an IRA uh, in your, or, for, or a Roth IRA. If you have a job and no kids, aim to save 20% of your pre-tax income. As you can probably imagine, I disagree with him. If you're single, you have a job, no kids, it's like save like 75 or 90%, right? Don't just go for 20, just go for broke. And then uh, you might stay single a lot less time, right? You might, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, just saying. Free, free advice, no extra charge for that. All right, so. Uh, invest in a low-fee total stock index fund, ideally in a 401k. Open a Roth IRA if you don't have access to a 401k. Don't buy individual stocks or try to time the markets. That's called speculation when you're trying to time the market. You're gambling. Think federal first when borrowing for school and don't combine public and private loans if you consolidate. That's actually a pretty good, good tip for those of you with student loans. Uh, a focused and rigorous major matters more than where you go to college. That is also important. And of course, we have our perspective with Adventist education and all that. But I will venture to say, as far as your personal finance goes, if you have no clue what you want to study in school, maybe most of you are out of school by now, who knows. But if you're still pursuing it, don't wander through an Adventist education aimlessly, draining, you know, if it's your parents' money or racking up the student loans. Because um, it's better off to take some time off, do mission work, learn to know who you are yourself before you spend the big bucks on an education. And by all means, if the Lord leads you to go to an Adventist school, please do, do so. Uh, don't, and this last one, don't push your friends to overspend and beware the same peer pressure applies to you. That's uh, an emotional, relational, social type personal finance tip. So that brings me to the end of my presentation here and so at this point we are going to hand out index cards thank you i believe michelle has that coming and our table leaders can disperse and we may have some people not at tables which is fine and so what we're going to do you're going to get your own index card and you're free to borrow from anything that we discussed on the screen and the next slide i'm going to put all four of the cards and all the bullet points on the screen so you can see them Uh, and the point here is not necessarily, the goal is not to walk out with this perfectly polished thing. We don't have enough time for that. But to go out with at least a framework in your mind about how to think about it. How do I organize my financial life? What are the key areas that broadly I need to address? So you should cover at least the three essential domains of personal finance. So that's the spending piece. So your budget, debt, things like that. Savings and investing and giving. Those are the three aspects. And the other domains might be things like earning, risk, or insurance, uh, debt, we talked about that, social, relational things, attitude, education. If you have a particular situation in your life, it would be helpful to be mindful of what those are and to address them in writing. So you have a purpose, you have a goal, you have some objectives written down. So this card should be practical actionable and applicable to your situation, your needs, your weaknesses, and for your phase in your life. You can adapt from the cards I'm going to show you on the next screen, and you can use your table mentor's experience for discussion. If you have questions, you can go ahead and ask them. And at the conclusion, I'll have to have Michelle tell me when that time is going to be. If there are questions from the tables that sort of are, you know, common bottom line, like common threads of questions, we can take them at the front. Uh, and then we will conclude at that point. 
So uh, before we break up into our respective tables, I'll go ahead and have a short prayer here to conclude this portion and for the recording. And then uh, we will break up into our groups. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time, albeit it's been brief, as we have surveyed some of these broad uh, principles and, and, and tips of how to manage our money for your glory. We pray that you will help us now in our discussion. May we come out of this meeting with some clear ideas of uh, areas we can strengthen and things we can improve on and also give us the endurance to press forward with the financial goals that we ought to have in our lives. Guide our discussion now as we continue in Christ's name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www. ASIministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.